Today's episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15 is presented by the Salvation Army. Your donations can help those affected by COVID-19 to find help and hope. To give, ask your smart speaker to make a donation to the Salvation Army or make your gift at SalvationArmyUSA.org. DVR has been doing some auctions and we're going to take a peek at his mixed league roster and at some other interesting buys. Like death and taxes, Dodger's been a Dodger. <laughs> I have That's not had uh, three co-crews yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Friday, April 24th. I'm Al Melkier, and I am joined here at the end of the week by Derek Van Riper and DVR. This show is largely about you and your recent auctions. So uh, actually, we could kick things off here. Uh, uh, you are involved with um, something called the uh, Triple Play Auctions. And so maybe we just start by uh, just having you explain how this came about, what it is, and uh, then we can move on from that. Yeah. So I came up with this crazy idea for a league where the same participants would take part in a mixed league auction, an AL only auction, and an NL only auction. And then we would take standings points or standings positions. I wasn't sure when I started which it would be, but then combine the placement in each of the three leagues to determine an overall winner across all three leagues. So it was a pretty fun thing to put together. It wasn't going to happen this season until everything slowed down and came to an absolute halt in in March because there was going to be just not enough time, not enough days on the calendar to get three auctions in prior to opening day. Um, and then what I realized was, you know, with no baseball, there was this opportunity to fill the time with some more auctions. Uh, I think most of us are just looking for excuses to jump on a Zoom call and hang out and build rosters. So I pitched it to a bunch of different people and got a really quick response from a lot. I got people who reached out to me just having read an article where I suggested I was going to do it. And it filled easier than I would have expected. And uh, yeah, it's just been this um, week-to-week sort of thing. We I decided to make it a charity league for this year because if there's no season, which I hope is not the case, um, the entry fees for the league are 100% going to charity regardless. So there's no prize money for the league this year. And we were able to raise some money for a food pantry in southern Wisconsin called Second Harvest. And even this week, we're going to try and raise a little more money for the Campaign Against Hunger, which is a Brooklyn-based organization. So it's, at least for this year, it's just a a fun charity sort of event. But I think it's the kind of league that structurally will happen in future years, too. Yeah, and I think it's a great idea. And um, if you want more information on this, I know you've been tweeting about it. So if you want the uh, you know see the results or DVR's commentary on it or the information about the uh, the charities, uh, you know just follow DVR on Twitter, which um, you know you should be doing anyway. So <laughs> check that out. And let's get into the um, mixed league auction, which was what about a week ago. Um, I admit I sort of fell behind on, on following this. So, uh, <laughs> no, yeah, it was the first of the three, and then uh, AL was this week, and then NL's coming up next week. All right, so we'll 
definitely catch up on the uh, the league only ones uh, in future episodes, probably pretty soon. But we'll start off here with the the mixed league, and I think there's going to be plenty here to uh, to go over in a single episode. In fact, I wonder if we'll even get to all of it. So let's start with your team DVR. Are there particular uh, players that you were really happy to get that you thought were good bargains or ones that you maybe have some regret about? Yeah, I think uh, as far as good bargains, the player who still really jumps off the page to me is Carlos Correa. Uh, $14 in a 15-team league you know, with a 260 budget is, to me, a really nice price for him. I, I think there's still there's still a level he can reach as a player that would make him a potential 30 plus dollar player in auctions in the future. And the reason I believe that is because he still brings a really high barrel rate. 13.5% was actually the best mark of his career in 2019. His average exit velocities are usually in the upper eighties. They've even been as high as 91 miles per hour back in 2016. So he does a lot of things really well. Look at the X stats from last year. You see a 290 XBA, 559 X slug, numbers that are right in line with the actual results. He had a 279 average, 568 slug, and he hit 21 homers and just 321 plate appearances. It was a rib injury that cost him a lot of time last year. I think we've seen enough from Correa where we can actually prorate those skills over you know, full seasons, however long they are. And I don't think it's foolish. I think the biggest question is health. And the injury last year was so fluky that he just looks like a clear bounce back player to me. That was the uh, massage injury, right? Yeah, the massage injury, the mysterious massage injury. Yeah, no, I uh, that really jumped out at me too. Um, I mean, I figured as much that you would cite that as uh, one of your your better bargains. Uh, I think it's actually one of the best, if not the best bargains in the entire auction. How did you feel generally about your team? I did the thing that I really like to do where I spend a lot early on top end talent. And if the room kind of follows that lead, it allows everyone to get players cheaper than they should later on. So I started with Ronald Acuna for 48 Mookie Betts for 41 and Max Scherzer for 36. I think they were probably within the first 10 players nominated. So I spent half my money in about 10 minutes. And, you know, the specific players almost don't matter so much as just laying the foundation for having two five category hitters and one ace. Any combination of two five category hitters and one ace would get it done. It wasn't Acuna, Betts, and Scherzer specifically. Uh, but I think I was able to get a lot of guys eight bucks and under who probably were 12 to $15 players. And again, a lot of other owners were getting similar values for the reason I mentioned. But as long as you end up getting your guys at the bottom of the list, you can come away with a roster that is, frankly, one that you're really happy with. Kyle Tucker for eight bucks is yeah. a dream for me. Like I, I think he should have cost at least as much as what I paid for Correa. You know, I, I look at that price. I look at Avisel Garcia for six. I think he's easily a ten to twelve dollar player in a format like this. Andrew McCutcheon for five, uh, just an incredible bargain there. Sam Hilliard for two. Uh, so I, I found, I found it pretty easy to 
fill in the gaps on this roster, even though I was spending really aggressively right from the jump in this auction. And that's critical to find those bargains when uh, you start out uh, with, a, with a burst like that. You know, when you said a, a, in a format like this, um, I should have asked from the get-go, this is standard 5x5, five five, correct? Yeah, it's 5x5 five five for the categories. The only real wrinkle for this league is two utility spots instead of two catchers. Yeah, and uh, I definitely want to touch on that aspect uh, of it in a little bit. But I also want to go back to uh, Kyle Tucker, who you just mentioned. Now, you, you, as you mentioned at the outset, uh, you got two uh, across-the-board uh, category contributors in Acuna and Betts. Uh, Tucker, I think, uh, potentially and probably should be a third player who could help you with steals. But I think there's a bit of a question mark there and maybe a bit of a question mark with Betts with his drop-off in steals production in 2019. And then after that i didn't really see any big contributors you get a few from machado uh maybe a, a few from uh correa but uh are you concerned about steals did you go in knowing that you would de-emphasize that um where where do you stand with the steals category yeah it's definitely a category that i have ground to make up in and i, I might not need to do great in the category i might be able to just be better than terrible and that might be enough (laughs) you know if i am fourth or fifth from the bottom and steals that might be enough category points for the way this roster is built so the only thing that makes me worried about the speed factor of my roster is the way uh, that i ended up handling closers on the pitching side because i think you could be light in one category you really can't be lightened too. So it means if you, you punt batting average or you really don't worry about batting average on draft day, you're not also missing out on saves. You're not also light on speed in that scenario. And that might be the biggest flaw in my roster. I think with Tucker, if you said project him speed-wise over a full 162, how many bags would you expect? 15 would probably be the number. He's capable of potentially giving me more. I'm not really worried about playing time. I don't think they're going to play Josh Reddick over him again this year. Uh, But I think what we've seen with Houston is they've had a lot of guys just shut down the running game as they've reached the big leagues. So I'm not looking at what was happening in the minors and just assuming that Kyle Tucker is going to be the guy that stole 30 bases and 35 attempts at the AAA level last season. Yeah, and that uh, 15 stolen base area is pretty much the consensus in terms of projections for Tucker. So, uh, you know, certainly if I were targeting him, that would be that would be my expectation as well. Uh, you know, your pitching follows pretty much the um, the pattern that you described. That you went out, you got Scherzer, you got a clear number two starter in Luis Castillo. And then, you know, basically a bunch of, of high upside, high risk types after that. Um, but I want to actually focus on the two closers uh, that you took, uh, Daniel Hudson and Hunter Harvey, which I, and you got them for a dollar each. And again, I, I'm interested in whether or not you went in intending to go cheap on saves, but if you were, or even if you just not on purpose missed out on the, um, you know, the more expensive options. I thought those were a couple of really good uh, speculative options that could pay off big. Yeah. I mean, I think it could be worse as far as my saves outlook goes. I mean, I I think there's a chance Hunter Harvey just is the Orioles closer. Things were tracking that way when spring training stopped. And 
he's clearly a bigger part of their long-term plan than Michael Givens is at this point. So if that leads Harvey to a half season's worth of saves for a dollar, I'll take that. I, I like the skills a lot. They have a lot invested in him as a former first-round pick. I, I think there's a good chance he's at least part of the plan for the ninth inning there. And with Daniel Hudson, I'm not really sure where I fall in that bullpen. I think the unfortunate thing here, I, I like Sean Doolittle a lot. I just have a really difficult time buying into his injury history as one that enables him to get through an entire season at any given time. So Hudson himself, of course, has had, I think, multiple Tommy Johns, so he brings injury risk as well. But for a dollar, we're talking about a guy who might be closing for one of the best teams in the league. So it wasn't a predetermined strategy, but it was a path that I knew was possible if I spent more than I should early on. And I think there was one player too many maybe in my base. Uh, Correa may have been that guy at 14 who I should have stayed away from, but the price was so good that I did it. Once I did that, I just felt like I couldn't overpay for saves because that was going to keep me from getting some endgame bargains that would round out the rest of my lineup. So it was something had to give, and I decided to cheap out on saves and, and kind of hope that the excess value I had from my bats would, would offset it. Yeah, that makes makes a lot of sense. Uh, well, let's take a look at some of the non-DVR picks here. And you alluded uh, just a little while ago to the fact that it's a one-catcher league. Two utility spots, but Jason Collette not only got two catchers, he got two of the more expensive ones. Um, JT Realmuto and Mitch Garver spending a combined $32 on the two of them. Do you, do you think that matters a lot in terms of which positions you draft your utility players from? I think the multiple catcher plan could be okay. If you imagine you have to kind of flip it though, to, to visualize it correctly. Like if you flip real Mudo into the catcher spot, okay, he bought the best catcher in the pool. How does a $10 Mitch Garver as a hitter stack up to some of the other players filling the utility spots? around the draft board. I think that's probably the best way to look at it. Playing time concerns, I don't think Garver really has those anymore. I think with Jason Castro going to the Angels this offseason, Garver gets a big bump in playing time. And even if the per plate appearance and and per game output that he was delivering as a part-time catcher a year ago, if that tails off a bit with the increased volume, the volume will help boost the floor. I think the skills are mostly real from last season. So, Compare that to say, I don't know, let's uh, look at maybe $7 Tommy Edmond. Tommy Edmond might not be an everyday player. Like their, their plate appearance volumes could be similar. They do different things, but just in terms of the counting stats and, and the type of player you're looking at, that doesn't seem that far off. So I think it worked with those specific players. And I think something Jason mentioned was that he actually liked that Travis Darno has first base eligibility too. First base is surprisingly thin. And that was a position where he didn't invest a lot. I think he's got Cody Bellinger who can move in and, and cover that spot. But he's got Miguel Cabrera playing first base right now. So just having some flexibility to play matchups and match out, uh, max out games each week, I think is a priority for the way he built that roster as well. Yeah. So actually, I sold his uh, his strategy short. He had three catchers, uh, including the one dollar Darno. So um, definitely a novel approach there. And I, I, you know, I think that's a good approach that you took to analyze it. Um, 
Because I was uh, really doing some mental gymnastics thinking about, okay, well, how do you value catchers if you're not using them as a catcher, but they still have a little extra value because you can play them a catcher? And, you know, it's a very straightforward approach is, okay, well, how does a catcher stack up against the other players uh, who are slotted for utility spots? And a lot of people did what, you know, frankly, I wind up doing in a lot of uh, auctions, which is getting a low-end outfielder or first baseman. Um to fill in there. And I, I think Garver stacks up very well against that type of player. Um, Hunter Renfro. Um, I'm just looking at some of the, the examples here, Brandon belt, um, you know, that there's a lot of players kind of in that neighborhood. And uh, so I think that, that reflects well on those, uh, those picks for, uh, for Jason uh, Reese Hoskins to our uh, colleague, Michael Beller for $14. Do you think that's a bargain or too pricey? Or I guess I could give you the third option just right, but you know, Where's the fun in that? <laughs> I think it's pretty close to the just right. It actually seems a bit like a bargain to me. Uh, I think with Reese Hoskins, there might be some overcorrection happening for his disappointing season. And I thought when we were preparing for Tout Wars back in March, which is an OBP league instead of a batting average league, I didn't think there was that much separating Reese Hoskins from Pete Alonso. Um, and I realized that Pete Alonso's season in 2019 was a lot better, but look at some of the underlying numbers from Reese Hoskins past. I mean, in 2017, a 13.5% barrel rate. His exit velocity was a career best 90.9 miles per hour. That was actually his best launch angle season too. He's become a little more fly ball happy the last two seasons, but it might just give us an idea of what the range of outcomes for someone like Pete Alonso could be if the league starts to find some ways to attack him differently. So, I do like that buy as one for Beller. I think Hoskins is kind of near the end of where the first base pool really starts to drop off. I think there's a really safe floor playing time-wise for him again this season. I think if he has another disappointing year like he had in 2019, then he becomes a risky player in 2021. But uh, I, I still look at him as a player the Phillies see as probably a big part of the heart of their lineup this season. All right. And one more buy that I just found very intriguing, and that's uh, Bo Bichette to Vlad Sedler for $31. And that really puts him sort of right in the in between the uh, truly elite tier of shortstops and uh, the, the second tier and where there isn't necessarily that much separation. Adalberto Mondesi going for uh, 26, Marcus Simeon going for 21, and sort of right in the middle there, Bo Bichette, $31. Do you think that he's he's earned that already? I, I mean, not literally, but you you know what I mean. Well, I think with with Bichette, that was a little bit of auction dynamics and uh, yeah. budget that Vlad and Rob Silver had at the time. Uh, I mean, they bought Fernando Tatis Jr. for twenty nine. <laughs> I think if you asked them which player's better, they would probably say Tatis is better right now, but Bichette could be just as good, if not better. I, I think I understand why people like Bo Bichette. I don't think I'm the person getting in that bidding war in those circumstances, pushing the number quite that high. I love the hit tool. I think there's plenty of speed there. There might have been more power than expected. Uh, I think that's something that you can bring with an all-fields approach in this era, especially. Uh, but that still, as much as I like Bobachette, seemed a little steep even in the circumstances. 
Yeah, no, I figured that had to be the end of a tier or something at that point uh, for that kind of price. Uh, well, there'll be more of this uh, to come. We will certainly review the AL only and NL only uh, triple play auctions in uh, coming episodes. And DVR, thank you for um, you know creating this, creating a, a good thing, and and uh, you know gives us something to talk about as well. Um, I seem to have a fixation with outfield, uh, crazy outfield alignments because early on in the show, uh, we had a featured read on um, something called the fly trap, uh, which was basically a crazy outfield scheme employed at, um, and I'm forgetting which college it was, but a small college with a bad baseball team. But now we've got from David Schoenfield of ESPN, uh, a piece on the major leagues maybe moving towards a four-man outfield. Why the four-man outfield could be MLB's next big innovation by David Schoenfield on ESPN.com. So if you, like me, are intrigued by this kind of weird thing, uh, do check it out. It's fun. Uh, and on that note, we're going to wrap things up here for this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get 40% off of your subscription by going to theathletic.com slash baseball in 15, or just try out the, the uh, 90-day free trial. Either way, everything that we do is going to be a part of your subscription. And if you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we, as always, do greatly appreciate it if you take the time to do that. For Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we'll be back with you on Monday. 